to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Hey listeners, I'm happy to announce that The J. Kim Show is an official media partner and supporter of the Inside Retail, Retail's cutting-edge vertical at the Start Me Up Hong Kong Festival at the end of January. The actual event is on the 31st of January, which is a Wednesday, and it's going to be an all-day event at the Hong Kong Convention Center. It's going to be an action-packed day full of seminars, panels, pitching, networking, and of course, cocktails. As a media partner, I also get a special 20% discount code for my listeners. So if you're interested, head on over to live dot inside retail dot hk forward slash register that's live dot inside retail dot hk forward slash register and use the promo code jkim 20 off that's j-a-y-k-i-m the number 220 and off all in one word all right hope to see you there So it's officially been one year since I first launched The J. Kim Show, which I launched this time last year in conjunction with the 2017 Start Me Up Hong Kong Festival. And because of that and the support that InvestHK gave me to launch this show, I always try to give back a little bit and help support them where I can. Now, the Start Me Up Hong Kong Festival is one of the two largest conferences here in Hong Kong, the other one being RISE, which takes place in the summer. Start Me Up Hong Kong is an entire week full of great speakers, panelists, covering everything from fintech, connected city, retail, health tech, and of course, the flagship venture forum uh, where we had Elon Musk come speak two years ago. So this year, I'll be doing a two-episode special to help support the cause, and it will be in the inside retail vertical. And I'll be interviewing two world-class entrepreneurs this week from Hong Kong. Uh, who have started their own companies within retail. And so we're going to talk about the future of retail. This week, I speak with Sarah Chesses, who is the founder of Isabella Ren. Isabella Ren is a Hong Kong studio dedicated to tailoring specifically for professional women. We talked to her today about her long career in banking, the life-changing event that caused her to want to leave her career in banking and pursue entrepreneurship, and the cutting-edge technology that she is incorporating into her company that is a potential game changer for the industry. All right, let's get on to the show. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, Jay. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on the show. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm super excited because, uh, you know, my sh- my podcast actually launched this time last year at this very event, the Start Me Up Hong Kong Festival. And I was able to in- interview uh, some of the people in the Inside Retail Vertical. And, uh, and I'm honored to be able to interview and help support it again this year. So I'm super excited. Uh, for the listeners listening in, it's um, the Retail Cutting Edge uh, is on January 31st. Uh, and that's at the convention center. And it's a week long. Uh, and it's part of the Start Me Up Hong Kong Festival 2018. Uh, so listeners listening in, I would highly recommend you guys checking it out. Get your tickets online. Um, and it's just a, it's one of the lar- two largest conferences in Hong Kong. The other one being Rise in the summer. So I think you guys are going to enjoy it. But today we are here to talk about Sarah. Because Sarah is doing some really cool, interesting stuff. 
um, in the retail space and uh, with technology. So, Sarah, maybe you could give us a little bit of an introduction uh, to the audience. What uh, you know, who are you, and what do you do for a living? Yeah, sure. So, um, so you said my name is Sarah Chessis, and I am the founder and um, CEO of Isabella Ren. Isabella Ren, uh, for anybody who has not heard of us, <laughs> we are a we're a custom uh, clothing company. Our focus is professional women, and we have created a marriage of technology with fashion. Right. That that's a very succinct and it's a great sort of elevator pitch. I feel like okay, I get right to the point. I love it. Um, we're gonna go into to uh, exactly what that is and the technology, the cool technology that you uh, you've acquired and you're using there. But um, maybe you can give us a little bit of background because um, you know I, I I know that you've done a number of different things and now you are full-time sort of entrepreneur and, and founder of a company, but uh, this this wasn't what you always did. So maybe you can shed a little bit of light on your on your past and maybe and perhaps what, what drove you to to embark down the the fun filled the uh, journey of entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So basically I um, started my career in London as a stockbroker. And that took me to Hong Kong and, and then on to Singapore. And that career went on for almost 20 years. And, you know, during that journey, um, I was, I reached a point in my life where, um, so what, what, to sort of take it back a bit further, what happened for me in my career was, I think I was in the sort of market at the time when everything was exploding with hedge funds and things were getting busier and busier and um, sales were becoming busier and busier and more successful. And I kind of just stopped. I just kind of um, didn't get to the point where I ever got married and had children. <laughs> Well, I always just thought it would happen, and it and I was found myself in Singapore, and I wasn't married, and I didn't have children, and the financial crisis came along, and for me, I thought, you know what, this is my opportunity. I've always wanted to have children, and I was thinking about it a lot, and I so I started the adoption process. So I made a decision to be a single mother. So oh wow, yeah, okay, yeah. So I started the adoption process, and and I think. The fact that it was a financial crisis and people don't tend to have babies when their finances are unstable, generally, and uh, but it didn't deter me. So I, you know, I started the process and I, I kind of actually thought, well, you know, what will be will be. And I was given a home study report telling me that I had um, met all the requirements to, to adopt and that I should sort of brace myself because you could wait years for babies to come up. Sure. Adoption and you know, literally seven days after they handed me that report, I had a newborn baby in my arms. <laughs> what? No way. Now, now, wait a minute. Sorry, uh, sorry. Is this uh, was the process done carried out in Singapore? Was it? It was while I was in Singapore, and uh, okay. So, you know, I I always think I'm a bit I'm like special and different in some ways. You know, I think that when someone says to me no, there's a way. No, never. Yeah. No, there's always a way you can do something, right? That's right. Yeah. So they sort of advised that, you know, it's very difficult for foreigners to adopt in Singapore, but in Malaysia, um, there were lots of orphanages and the same thing in Indonesia. So my original idea was to adopt a baby from overseas. So I did the home study report and, um, 
with the intention of adoption overseas. So when I went to the British Embassy to get my letter of authority, they said, I don't know what it was about you didn't understand <laughs> that you cannot adopt a child from Indonesia or Malaysia. They said, okay, just to put this into context, the babies that are put up for adoption from those countries are not given up because they are, you know, um, there's any kind of drug or alcohol issues they are given up because the family are so poor they cannot mm-hmm. afford literally to feed any one more person right. and if you go ahead and you adopt that baby and that family wins some money or inherits some money they're going to come after that baby and you've got to give it up oh really yeah and that kind of sunk in then <laughs> Okay, <laughs> when you put it like that, actually, yeah. maybe. But the, but what happened was the agency that I'd been dealing with was um, he he's you know all the agencies in Singapore deal with different kind of criteria in terms of where the where the adoptive parents are from, where the adoptive babies are from, and he only dealt with Singaporeans. The Singaporeans are allowed to adopt from Indonesia and Malaysia, but expats are not. So he just so happened to have a Singaporean baby. Uh, that had come up for adoption, and I just happened to be the only person he had on his books at that time who was interested in a Singaporean adoption. So, no way. yeah, it was kind of meant to be. And he said, you know, um, it, your baby will be born in about week, a week or ten days, and literally two days later she was born. And that's incredible. Yes, and that's why the company is called Isabella Wren because that's the little girl's name. Now, was that the name that you gave her, or that was the name that she came with, or? Uh, well, actually, she her, her name was Angel, uh, which I kept her middle name. So oh, wow. she's she's Isabella Angel. That's amazing. That's uh, that's such a cool story, uh, Sarah. Th- thank you for sharing that. That's that's very personal, and I appreciate that. I think the audience would actually really enjoy that. But you know what? It's, it's all kind of part of the journey because the reason I left banking was because I'd always, for me, when I was at school, I always wanted to be a fashion designer and. Um, and I became an accidental stockbroker, but I really wanted to do fashion design. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, don't, I can't imagine it happening today, but back then I was told that I was good but not good enough to do that. And um, so I did it as a hobby, really. So I sort of drew and designed and had clothes made my whole life pretty much. And when I had the opportunity, so I had the opportunity to come to Hong Kong um, and set up a, basically it was a, online selling a Chinese brand internationally online and to set that up and um what I just became you know very aware that I had my own ideas about you know I I think my ideas are fairly commercial it was at that time I thought you know I want to be in charge of my own destiny and to be able to you know I was really naive I think anyone who starts a company any entrepreneur has to be really naive because you know, the more na- the less naive you are, the less likely you are to actually do it. So, <laughs> right? too much information is definitely going to put you off, isn't it? Right. Um, so, um, but my feeling was so. This was my this was my dream that I would have this fabulous showroom full of wonderful clothes made of fabulous fabrics, and any individual could walk in and choose any garment and customize it to exactly the way they wanted it. And we would custom make it to fit. That was the dream. Okay. Well, that was the vision when I started the business. And and then uh, what would happen was that I would take the little girl to school um, and I would come into my showroom, which would be fully booked. 
And then I would say bye-bye to everybody at about 5 o'clock and I'd go home and play with her and have her din- dinner together and put her to bed. <laughs> and that would be my life. And I would only work Monday to Friday because this business is so successful. I didn't need to do anything else, right? But, of course, none of that happened. <laughs> none of it. Welcome to entrepreneurship. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so, so I basically, it just didn't occur to me that the, the clothes wouldn't fit. And I just, you know, I just had these. So there was two big, big obstacles when I started this business, and I was convinced that I would be able to overcome them. I just didn't realize it would take me as long as it did. But um, one was that it was very difficult to get clothes to fit with a just a set of uh, with measurements. Mm-hmm. Secondly, nobody wanted to manufacture for me because manufacturers want 5,000 units. They don't right. want one. That's right, yeah. Every single garment we produce is different, every single one. Okay, so before we get into the, the, the details of the business, because I'm, I'm intrigued, I'm very intrigued, because, uh, but uh, just a quick back step. Um, so first of all, congratulations on getting out of banking, because I think that <laughs> every time I hear someone, you know, like, because I've been there, Sarah, I've, I've been there in the trenches where I'm like, oh, I got to do something else. I know that, you know, there's something else out there for me. This is not, this is not it. This is not my future where you're just smiling and dialing away. And so I, I get really excited when I, when I hear about and or interview or speak to uh, sort of ex-bankers that have come out and they've made it and they've found their freedom or, or what have you. So uh, first of all, congratulations on that. And it, it must have been sort of, uh, you know, obviously it, it must have been scary at, at the time of financial crisis. You just adopted a baby and you're going off on your own. Were you sort of financially already uh, sort of, you know, stable as in you'd had enough put away to, to for a couple of years? Did you have sort of a fallback plan like, oh, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to go back into banking uh, what was your sort of thought process back then? See, that would have been a sensible thought process. No, I didn't have that. One. So, so what I did, I did go back into banking when the little girl was very young. I went to work for a, a, a very good friend of mine in Hong Kong. Her company had recently opened an office in Singapore, and they needed a responsible officer. So they allowed me to be that responsible officer, and I worked uh, two days in the office and one day at home. And I did that for a while and then the company was bought and they and then I had to work full time. And it was then that I just I just was leaving work at sort of you know, seven in the morning and coming home after she'd gone to sleep and I never saw her. and I just kinda of thought, you know, I'm a single mother. I didn't adopt a child never to see her. Yeah, absolutely. But on the financing side, what I did was um long, long, long time ago I bought an apartment in London now it's like mm, almost 20 years ago now and um i sold it and, and put the money into this oh wow wow okay that's but actually what happened, i raised some money from family and friends as right, well right. so i asked some family and friends and they said yes here's some money uh, and of course that again is terrifying because once somebody else gives you some money you've got a business to run right so up until that point i kind of had it in my head that if i didn't raise any money it wasn't meant to be and the moment two people gave me some money, I was like, fuck. Oh, sorry. You edit that word out. Uh, You're fine. You're fine. This is, a, this is, <laughs> this is the beauty of having your own podcast. You can say whatever, whatever the you want on it. <laughs> and then um, two years later, um, I raised some more money with, a, with an institution. It was, it's a sort of a family office come fund. Um, who gave who and so I raised some secondary funding to 
and that was really to um, that to to um, for the technology to build out the technology. So nice. sort of going back to the to the issues that I had um, on the fitting, I needed to find a solution to get clothes to fit. And to do that, I it, it I became an accidental geek basically because <laughs> I didn't know anything about technology at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you probably appreciate this that, but when you work in a big investment bank, you have like a button that's like the help desk. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And you press the button, and the guy comes and stands next to you and says, "You call the IT guy." Yes, and he just <laughs> sorts everything out. Exactly. You don't care how it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just someone else is making it work, basically. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about technology at all, and um, and I think in a lot of ways, um, technology has become much less scary. You know, and and I'm very fortunate that I was here at a time in this particular industry where technologies are available today that just didn't exist right. five years ago. You know, 3D body scanners and um, 3D CAD software and and that type of thing. So we've been it's been like a, a stepping stone journey to get to where we are now, and and the journey's taken us. We're now using um, algorithmic coding. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You, who would who would who would think that those two words would ever go with? <laughs> when we were banking, we used to talk about these sort of VWAP engines and stuff. And yeah. uh, I used to have customers would say to me, "How does your VWAP algorithm work?" <laughs> and, which I would reply, "Can I get one of my colleagues to call you back because they know way more about it than I do, yeah. and they're going to talk you through in much more detail." When the reality was, I didn't know anything. <laughs> That's so funny. The view, <laughs> yeah. We we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of finance investors and listeners, so I, I think a lot of people will appreciate uh, your story as well. Um, so okay, let's okay. So now let's talk about the business because I think that's uh, I think that one of the actually one of the, the 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 coolest things that I experienced when I came to Hong Kong first, way back in two thousand five, was. Oh, I got to go get fitted for a suit, right? And so I know for for guys, it's a it's a big thing because it's relatively cheap. I think the prices have gone up a little bit now because of rents and this sort of thing. But back then, you could get a custom made suit from you know, Sam's Tailor or whatever uh, you you want, and and go over, go over the TST and get your suit done uh, for a couple hundred bucks US, and it fit pretty well. And they had their master cutter there and. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how they sort of put it together, but they got it done in in a very short amount of time, and and shirts as well. And so it's sort of like a stock thing, right? Everyone in banking in in Hong Kong has like all the same look. They have all the same uh, materials and fabrics and this sort of thing. So it, I know that it's a huge thing. But then I always I was always curious because on the women's side, I actually at one point um, I bought some suit material for my wife. Because she was into blazers a lot, uh, and she's not in the industry or anything, but she liked to wear blazers casually with jeans and this sort of thing. So uh, I got her some material, and I was asking the tailor, I was like, "Do you do like women's stuff?" And he was like, "No." And so I asked a few different people, and there was and none of the guys would 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 really do women's stuff. And so I was like, mm, "I don't know." So the the suit fabric's still sitting in my closet. <laughs> so I was always wondering, uh, okay, I guess women don't really, you know do this sort of tailoring or or maybe they just like to buy off the rack more so um so i i feel like you've you've actually you've actually entered a very very strong niche because uh because it's literally there's no one doing it right no there isn't anyone doing it we're the only people um there are i mean there are a few companies doing it 
overseas, but in Hong Kong, very there is virtually nothing. And do you want to know my feeling about why there's not? <laughs> you know, it's again. I was thinking, you know, maybe I should have asked myself that question when I started the business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it? It was a personal pain point, I guess, that you you wanted clothes that fit better, and then so you decided to just make them yourself. Hundred percent. Well, so I was in, um, you know, a sales in the bank, and I had to wear suits, and it was just really hard to get them. So you would, you know, spend such a long time trying to find something nice, and when I did found something that I quite like the look of it never fitted very well, and I would always think, gosh, I wish I could change this, or I wish I could change that. And the other thing that you know, with with women's workwear, it's they are really like workhorses. You you can't you you know you tend to wear the same thing over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and and separate the wardrobes. So there's one for work and there's one not for outside of work. That's and right. it really need it gets really kind of battered, and and you'll sit in that suit for a really really long time. So you know, first thing in the morning, or you might even go out after work and yep. go on a business trip, and so they need to be you know pretty well made and um nice fabrics but the reality is it's just so hard to get anything that's just wasn't even black or gray or even navy maybe Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. nothing um there was nothing kind of edgy so and there seemed to be i didn't seem to be the only person that really wanted this Um, so that's why i uh, set up isabella rent and it wasn't to to make men's clothes for women which is what some men's tailors do right so the idea for us was to actually um, to be a fashion brand, a professional women's fashion brand, but that would any garment would be custom made to fit and any garment could be customized to exactly the way you wanted it. So if you want to have um, below the knee or you want short sleeves or long sleeves or three-quarter sleeves, you can have anything you like. Nothing mm-hmm. is outside the realms of what we do here. And that's the product offering that I wanted to that I wanted to give. That sounds that sounds like it's uh, it, highly it would be highly in demand. Uh, talk, can you walk us through the customer experience? Uh, say someone is it is it done online or is it come? Do you do you guys have a, a, a retail store? We have a showroom. So when we when I set up originally, um, and I didn't have proof of concept, I didn't want to make a massive investment in a ground floor you know, in a ground floor space without knowing that this was actually something that was going to be um, successful, you know, that it uh, in demand and, and would work. So I took a, and I'm, our showroom's on the 11th floor of a building in Central. You can come in here and we can, we have a 3D body scanner and we can take hand measurements or you can go online and go onto our website and enter your measurements yourself or you can go to... Where, where's the showroom? Uh, we're on um, Wyndham Street, next door to just next door to Tony and Guy. Okay, listeners, you go, go over, head over to uh, Sarah's showroom. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> we're gonna we'll have it we'll have it linked up in the show notes. I'm I'm plugging you here, so you can absolutely. We have a party; they can all come and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, um. And you can also, we've done some agreements with third parties. There's a, there's a company in based out of Australia called Emport, 
mm-hmm. and they have put scanners into a, a lot of the Westfield shopping malls. They also have them in uh, LA Fitnesses in the US. You can go in there, be scanned in one of their scanners, and the data will come into us if you choose to go on our websites. So you can actually, you, it's your choice. You go online to our website if you've been scanned in an import scanner. Oh, you can, okay. The, the, your measurement data gets imported to us. So we can then make your on-demand clothing using your measurements taken from there. And then the other thing which is happening, which is, which is, to be honest with you, is so exciting that it's literally game-changing. If you think about how big the uh, online apparel business is globally, and uh, I think it's up to 40 or 60% of it gets sent back because it doesn't fit, mm. there's a, a vast weight of money behind finding a solution to making online clothing you know, to basically online clothing sizing, right? Not, not custom clothing, but just actually sizing ready-made clothing. So, but with that in mind, they have to be able to take uh, data points from bodies, which we could use to um, to make clothes. And, and we're we're kind of talking to at least I think six companies right now who are really close to uh, finding a solution where you can just. Um, use your iPhone to scan your body and, and it will capture your body data. Oh, wow. Yeah. That does sound game-changing. It's very close. I mean, there are so many people working on it and there's so much weight of money behind it. Yeah, right, sure. Uh, what At what point did you incorporate technology? Because, so, you know, obviously there's fashion tech is, is, is a big thing, uh, but for someone like yourself, at what point and how did you even get introduced to this technology? How did you acquire it? At what point did that come along? I mean, like, what was the thought process there? You know, sometimes I say, you know, when you think something bad has happened, it's actually something good. It's, you know, it was um, Shakespeare said, right? We don't know what's good and bad, or it's our mind that tells us so, right? Mm. I had a when I first started the business. It was so I started at the end of 2013, so right at the end. So, and I think it must have been literally a month after I opened, so early 2014. Uh, we had this amazing pattern maker, fantastic, and from Ralph Lauren. Wow. And he fell out with somebody from in the workshop, and he walked out. Um, and he also deleted every pattern that was on the system on our computer. What? <laughs> wow. So it was awesome. So, I mean, the good thing was that the guy did not know anything about technology, and he did not empty the trash. <laughs> It was like a few, um, but it was one of those aha moments in terms of, you know what? I have invested a vast amount of my own money and a lot of other people's and our whole business is dependent on that man. That's crazy. Wow. We couldn't, we couldn't make anything because we didn't have any patents. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have a patent maker. So I, um, that made me start to look at other ways where I would be less vulnerable. So I started to look at freelance pattern makers i met this amazing um amazing guy randomly on a, on a freelance website he just so happened to be um a he'd been working with um alexander mcqueen for a long time and he he was the senior lecturer at central st martin's on pattern making wow he spent a lot of time with me actually and he never charged me anything um literally on skype explaining pattern making to me Wow, that's incredible. And yeah, it's funny how, you know, certain people come along and they're just so incredibly helpful. And yeah. um, so from there, he, 
you know, he said there are a lot of freelance pattern makers out there using technology. So, um, and at that, that time, there were systems where, you know, you could have pattern makers working remotely. So that took me along to um, how do we capture accurate body data because right. very well having people doing patterns. So I started working with a 3D CAD system, which was, um, again, remotely, and putting in a 3D scanner. So I had one of the first ever 3D scanners. Wow. It was almost like taped together, basically, literally taped together. I mean... <laughs> So was it like one of those things where you go through like security at the airport where you kind of like walk into this chamber and you have to get scanned? No, it's probably a bit more like playing on a Wii machine. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, no, it was literally a, you have on your Wii machine and and you were standing, basically I would take three photos on this Wii camera uh, connect and that would get sent through to a processing center and they would then give me back a whole set of body measurements and an avatar and an avatar is a 3d body scan that's what it looks like when it's inside a computer so i would get avatars that i would then put inside a piece of 3d cad software i'd put in a 2d pattern and the pattern maker would wrap the 2d pattern around the 3d avatar so that's where we uh, that's that was kind of you know stepping onto the sort of the technology journey along this path and that worked well but to put the avatar inside the software um, the avatar needs to be smoothed down as the software can't read it if it's got bumps on it and removing the bumps you then you, you lose some of the sizing data so then the accuracy goes mm-hmm. and it's kind of places like where the sort of top of your arms meet your body that it gets noise. And to shave away that noise, you end up losing the accuracy. So so it was better. So I'd gone from kind of like people needing maybe six fittings to needing two. Okay. Yeah. So that was um, so that was getting better. And two and a half years ago, I basically uh, met the fantastic Mark Close, who has a company called Bespokeify. And uh, Bespokeify had mark has basically had been using um algorithmic codes to make tools for mining companies wow and he now he could apply the same uh, principles to clothing patterns and he at that point had literally just started and he'd made a man's shirt with some degree of success so we said you know let's we see if we can make a dress and he wrote a pattern and we made the dress. And I have to say, it was like a Kitty Hawk moment. I was like, oh, wow. my God. A piece of That's incredible. can make a clothing pattern mm-hmm. in a second that actually fits. But it, it was still, it wasn't quite right. It was good, but it, wasn't, it was still off a little bit. And we made a decision there and then that if we were going to do this, and it was potentially game-changing, like he knew what he had and I knew what he had. <laughs> we i think we really need to make this a hundred percent accurate and um so we agreed that he would go away and he would write the code down to zero and write it back up he's i call him sir mark because he's a genius by the way really cool name bespokeify that's that's such an awesome (laughs) startup yeah He's super cool. It is cool. And, uh, I mean, he's won awards from um, Future of Fashion. And, you know, he's he's been sort of dubbed as the future of fashion, basically. Wow. 
incredible. Uh, yeah, he's incredible. Okay, so so let's say my wife uh, wants to go into your store, Sarah, and she she now now the technology is uh, you know I imagine it's is uh, much more advanced and improved. So she goes in, she gets her. How long does it take to get her sort of three D measurements done? So, to be honest with you, the the uh, measurement capture um, is under a minute, and the patterns are instant. But our average customer spends on their first visit between one and five hours in here. Wow! Yeah, you guys have a spa there or something? <laughs> Couldn't get carried away. Uh, it's the perfect scenario, right? <laughs> right Everyone right. has always dreamed of that they could go in and, and every single thing in that place will not only fit, but it will look good. It's going to make you look slimmer. It's hundred percent going to fit, and you can do anything you want to it, and it's fast and active, right? Wow. So there's the women get carried away. I mean, it, uh, we get a lot of visitors coming in from overseas, people mm-hmm. that have been referred to us, and you know, and they. And it always happens, and it does make me giggle. I should video them. The, the day they come back for the to pick everything up, they come in to collect everything. They almost start panicking, like they haven't bought enough. Oh wow, wow! They like think they. Oh, it's almost like they think I'm hiding clothes somewhere that they haven't seen. What else is there? What else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what uh, what is the turnaround time on uh, on an order? Where does the order actually get manufactured, and what sort of price point uh, are you setting for these bespoke items? <laughs> okay, so we suggest um, that it, the turnaround time would be around two weeks, mm-hmm. and we well. say that. Because we generally have, um, you know, we often have a backlog of orders, um, but we've turned a dress around in three and a half hours. Wow, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, we had a lady who was uh, visiting and she was um, a VIP at one of the hotels and she needed a dress for the races. <laughs> Did you charge extra for that? <laughs> Actually, no, we didn't. Uh, we didn't. Should have. <laughs> I know. I just kind of, you know, we've got a really good relationship with those people. So I kind of think it's, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Give and take. So we can do it very fast. And on average, it takes around a day to turn around a dress, um, a couple of days for a jacket. But, we, you know, we have our own workshop, which is in um, Bougie in China. Okay. Um, what we've actually done there is we've developed a manufacturing platform so, for instance, if another brand was in the sort of position that we're in, that they wanted to set up, you know, start a custom clothing company, and they will not get anyone to manufacture for them. And if they do, it's going to be very poor quality and prone to error. And, you know, the whole process for us is kind of, you know, in a way, you know, we, we, we've paved the way for other people to do the same sort of thing. And, well, you know, errors on bes- on very sort of bespoke customizations you tend to get mistakes and we have done we've put a system in place which almost it makes it impossible to make a mistake mm. uh, it's very visual so we put we were using 3d models and right. they snapshot the uh, final garment in a 3d visual so the person who's making the garment can just follow the images they don't need to follow handwritten instructions or nothing can get lost in translation this is pictorial right right and who actually does the designing of your pieces so we have a um 
qualified, um, very experienced designer who uh, specializes in, or who has always specialized in women's professional wear. Um, again, she was like, it was like the, um, you know, the angels were shining down that day. Um, he came into my life. This <laughs> so, uh, so she designs all the kind of all the silhouettes, and she also runs a whole production office. And she's amazing. Wow. Then what we do together is we we sort of scour the globe, finding the best possible incredible fabrics, and then we put together a whole collection based on those. We just use those silhouettes. Right. I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think this is this is definitely with the technology and the speed. And the basically the turnkey uh, nature that you you set up, it's definitely uh, game changing uh, for sure. So especially with the, the on the you know the fact that we we're also developing the on demand manufacturing platform too. Mm, yeah, right. That that that's that's definitely the logical uh, way to go. Um, tell the audience a little bit about your plans for 2018 this year and the future of Isabella Run. <laughs> okay, so I think the um, we are actually uh, well. We'd like to expand. I think uh, logically for us, the next step for expansion would be the US. Nice. Um, I think we're ready now to have um, some kind of retail presence in Hong Kong and move out of this showroom. So I think it's <clears throat> you know relative to sort of our customer base for professional women. So ideally, it would be kind of you know sort of further into the mm. heart of central, if we, if we can, um, and to uh, you know increase our online presence um, and grow the expand the uh, the on demand manufacturing significantly. We're looking at laser printers that sort of basically the software from the um, pattern making and the and the um, when I say laser print, laser cutters will all talk to each other and then automating some part of the sewing if we can. So, you know, because it's very artisanal, um, right. our product, and we keep that artisanal feeling about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's uh, that's that's the allure of um, of of this sort of business and and uh, and having just that personal touch and you know, I mean, being able to actually engage with you, the founder, um, if if need be. I think that's very special. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. It's I, I had a really it was very intriguing and and uh, and interesting and, and thank you for sharing uh, your story with with the audience with my audience and um, I guess just a last couple of questions. Um, the the second to last one would be uh, you know as as an entrepreneur who has come out from the the banking uh, system and has uh, successfully launched your own company um, for say aspiring entrepreneurs and and maybe people that want to young startup founders that are looking to start their own company what what's a one good piece of advice you could give uh that that you could share with with the audience i think one of the um if you really you know you've got a brilliant idea and you're very determined and you know you have the financial backing i think that's very important is to make sure that you can you know you can afford to do this it's interesting because i looked at some research on um a lot of companies that are brilliant absolutely brilliant with a wonderful idea and a wonderful business plan and that you know just unfortunately just didn't raise enough money yeah and you know to keep it going and and so just you know obviously make sure your funding's there and and also just you know everyone has problems and particularly when you're doing something that you can't copy somebody else because it's never been done before 
Right. So that you've got nobody else's experience to go on and you're going to sort of, you know, you're going to hit pitfalls and um, there's going to be issues and not to worry too much about the issue and worry more about, I think, more about a solution to the problem. Mm. You know, to focus on right. solutions and not problems because everybody has problems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's that's really, that's very true. You know, I mean, even, even the copycats, if you try to be the whatever of Hong Kong or whatever, you know, I mean, the, everything is different. <laughs> there's no, there's no two companies that are exactly the same. So you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, well, thank you so much. The last question was just uh, simply where can people find you, follow you, connect with you, maybe learn a little bit more about Isabella Wren or, or are you on social media? Um, any of that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we are. We absolutely. So we have a website, which is www.isabellawren.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. We are, we're on Instagram. I personally am on LinkedIn and so is the company. And as you mentioned, that we will be at the um, startup conference at the end of the month, which we're very excited about. And yeah, I mean, I think the, and I'm not sure if you, um, if I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, we are, to, as part of this expansion, we are hoping to close out another round of financing this year as well. Oh, fantastic. That's, that. That's great. Yeah, hopefully by the end of the first quarter, if not before. Very exciting. Very exciting. So we've got some really amazing strategic partners that we're talking to at the moment. Excellent. So uh, for the audience listening in, uh, Sarah is a sp- uh, speaker, I believe. Uh, you're a speaker at the forum, right? So July 30, uh, sorry, July, J- January 31st, uh, which is the retail's <laughs> cutting edge. Uh, you can get your tickets online. I'll, I'll have show links all up in the show notes and everything uh, linked up for you for her website where you can follow her, find her, or even maybe go in and, uh, and, and get measured for those uh, female professionals out there. Um, and also, I will have uh, a special link with, uh, with a place to buy tickets for the Retail's Cutting Edge uh, event at the Start Me Up Hong Kong Festival. So, Sarah, thank you so much again for your time. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and hearing your wonderful story. And I wish you the best of luck. I'm always, I always root for not only for bankers that get out of the system but, and, and successfully start startups, but for, for, for Hong Kong entrepreneurs uh, because that's special to me and Hong Kong is my home. So thank you again. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? 
After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under three hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness. Yeah.